My dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, worship in the park was last Sunday, and it was awesome, as usual. I hope that a lot of you were able to, to be there. Perfect weather makes a rare appearance on the first Sunday of August, but it, it was about as perfect as it could get. And uh, the most amazing thing to me about worship in the park every year is um, all of the volunteers and the helpers, all of those people that make it possible. That old saw, many hands make light work, proves itself in spades around here every year on the first Sunday of August. And over the 10 years since I've been here that we've been doing this, I've finally now just kind of, kind of learning to sit back and rest in the sure and certain knowledge that everything is going to be just fine regardless of how much I worry and fret about it. And I was given the opportunity this year to put that to the test. Because a little less than a week before our worship in the park last Sunday, I got a call from an old high school friend. He was my best friend back in those days who I haven't seen in about 30 years in the flesh. Um, he has been living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, since about 1990, and I think the last time I actually was in the same room with him was probably about 1992, when my wife Laura and I were down in Albuquerque for a Rocky Mountain Synod Assembly, and we looked him up. Um, since then, it's never worked out for us to be in the same place at the same time. It's just how our life has gone. His name is Jeff. Anyhow, Jeff was calling me a few days before last Sunday, to let me know that he was going to be in the Twin Cities uh, that weekend coming up and wondering he was going to come for a funeral and he was wondering if uh, by any chance I would just be happening to be in the Twin Cities at that time, visiting family or whatever. And I had to tell him, no, <laughs> I would not be because we had worship in the park coming up and so much to get ready for that day. But then I started thinking, this was one of the most important people in my life for those years of high school and college. We went to college together, too. He was a year behind me, but he ended up going to Luther with me, and we ran together as well. And I got to thinking about how I hadn't been to New Mexico in 30 years, and when was the next time I'd ever get to New Mexico, and when would we see each other again? So, long story short, I packed a bag last Thursday afternoon and threw it in the car, and I drove. I drove the nine and a half, ten hours to the Twin Cities, got in late, stayed at my son Kent's house, and then spent a few hours the next day with Jeff and his family. And then I got up at about quarter after 2 a.m. on Saturday morning, and I drove back <laughs> here and got here about 11.30-ish in the morning on Saturday, after which I went comatose for about four hours, drove over here, loaded up my rig with mic stands and music stands and all that to be ready to go to the park the next morning. It was worth the 20 hours of driving to see an old friend again. Um, all of that is pretext, though, to this story. Um, when my family moved from North Minneapolis to the uh, Como Park area of St. Paul in the middle of my junior year, it was the gift of Jeff's friendship that pretty much saved me, you know? That's a tough time for a kid to move. 
Um, and not having any friends in that place and wanting to make friends, I went out immediately for the track team in the spring. This was the first time I'd actually gone out for track. I'd run cross country in the fall before, but never in the spring had I run track. And what bonded me to Jeff right away was the fact that we ran for the same reason. We wanted to win races. Now, you might think, duh, well, why would anybody go out for track if they didn't want No, there's a lot of reasons young people go out for sports teams, and competition is not always at the top of the list, right? But Jeff and I bonded instantly because we had the same priorities. We wanted to train, and we wanted to win. Anyway, I'll never forget one of the first practices that spring of track with Jeff and the rest of the gang. It was an unseasonably warm late March afternoon. I mean, you know, like hovering in the, in the low 70s, which is very warm in late March for the Twin Cities. And the coach had sent us out on a seven-mile run. It was a loop. Started at the high school, ended at the high school. About two miles into the run, we went right by a Dairy Queen. And when we got to the Dairy Queen, all of a sudden, the whole group just stopped. And I'm like, what's going on? And guys were pulling dollar bills out of their socks and out of their shorts. And I'm like, what's going on here? And I learned that it was their custom. Whenever the coach sent them on this particular route, they would stop, they'd get nice cream, and then they would take the shortcut back to school, finish about the time a seven-mile run ought to be done. I thought they were absolutely nuts, right? I didn't join the track team to eat ice cream, you know? I wanted to train. And so I started taking off again. I said, I'll see you guys back at school. Jeff went with me. And the two of us did the whole seven-mile loop, and we got back to school at exactly the same time as the rest of the group was coming in. But here's the deal, right? The rest of the group was kind of wondering, <laughs> would we say anything to the coach? Would we betray them? Or would we keep our mouths shut? Now, the reality is they had nothing to worry about from me. I was just starting to make friends. The last thing I was going to do was lose a bunch of those new friends right off the bat by being a rat, right? So, at the same time, I was not going to cut the half middle portion of a, of a seven-mile run. I needed every mile I could get because I knew that the races I was going to be running, those distance races, were hard, they were sweaty, and no one was going to be handing out ice cream cones in the middle of the run. So, that's the way that went. And yet, here's the thing. There's always people around you who will tempt you to take shortcuts, right? To lessen the pain, to make things just a little bit easier. And if you choose not to join them, they might start to give you the side eye, huh? or tease you for being so serious, berate you for your zeal, or they might even disown you, right? Distancing themselves from you is a potential threat to their own comfort. Omerta. You know what that term means in the Italian language? Omerta. It's a, it's a term that's been used by the mafia. It refers to a code of silence about criminal activity and the refusal to give up evidence to those in authority who might be questioning what's going on. It's about keeping your mouth shut. 
when you're confronted by outsiders so as, you know, not to disturb the status quo, no matter how nefarious the status quo might be. Omerta, code of silence. To give you an example of how omerta works, I went to my film vault, because I am kind of a film nut, and I pulled out this clip that I'm going to show you from The Godfather Part 2. Probably one of the best pieces of gangster film ever put to cinema. We can argue about that later, all right? But um, in this little clip, a gangster by the name of Francis Pantaglia, Frankie Five Angels, has turned state's witness against Michael Corleone, the head of a very powerful crime family, once headed by his father, Vito Corleone. And he's, uh, Frank's in FBI witness protection leading up to his testimony before a grand jury. And in what is an incredibly inspired and nefarious move, Michael Corleone flies in Frankie's brother from Sicily. He's an old gangster from the old country. Simply to be there in the courtroom to witness his brother's testimony. And this is what happens. Will you show that clip real quick? Just a few minutes. <laughs> That's Frank. More people in a ball game than you. you turn it up just a little bit, Andy? That's Michael Corleone. That's Frank's brother. This committee will come to order. State your name, please. Frank Bentangeli. And where were you born? Pompanico. It's outside of Palermo. And where do you live now? I live uh, in an army barracks with the FBI guys. <laughs> we have here, finally, a witness that will further testify to Michael Corleone's rule over a criminal empire that controls all of the gambling in this country, and perhaps in other countries. This witness has had no buffer between himself and Michael Corleone. He can corroborate our charges on enough counts for this committee to recommend a charge of perjury against Michael Corleone. Senator, thank you, Chairman. Mr. Pentangeli. Mr. Pentangeli. Were you a member of the Corleone family? Did you serve under Capo regime, Peter Clemenza, under Vito Corleone, also known as the Godfather? I, uh, I never knew no Godfather. I got my own family, Senator. Angela, you, uh, you are contradicting a sworn statement you previously made to me and signed. I ask you again, sir, here and now, under oath, were you at any time a member of a crime organization headed by Michael Corleone? I don't know nothing about that. Oh. I was in the olive oil business with his father, but that was a long time ago, that's all. We have a sworn affidavit 
We have it. Your sworn affidavit that you murdered on the orders of Michael Corleone. Do you deny this confession? And do you realize what will happen as a result of your denial? Look, the FBI guys, they promised me a deal. So I, so I made up a lot of stuff about Michael Corleone, because that's what they wanted. But, but it was all lies. Uh, everything. And I kept saying, uh, uh, Michael Corleone did this, and uh, Michael Corleone did that. So I said, uh, yeah, sure. Mr. Corleone, would you kindly identify for the committee the gentleman sitting to your left? I can answer that. His name is Vincenzo Pintan. Is he related to the witness? He is, I believe, his brother. Will he come forward and be sworn, sir? <coughs> sir, this man does not understand English. He came at his own expense to aid his brother in his time of trouble. He's not under subpoena, and his reputation in his own country is impeccable. Are you saying he knows nothing about these matters? To my knowledge, nothing. I'm going to find out what the hell happened here. All right, this committee is now adjourned. The witness is excused. Take Senator. Senator, this committee owes an apology. This committee owes an apology. Apology, Senator. L'onore della famiglia sta posto. Sta posto. Now, did you hear what the lawyer for Corleone, Tom Hagen, said to his brother there at the end? Leonore della Familia sta posto. Sta posto. He said, the honor of the family remains intact. Intact. Because Frank lied on the stand, right? To preserve Omerta, to keep the status quo going protect the nefarious activities of the family. That's omerta. All it took was his brother's gaze, seeing if he would betray the family, betray omerta. And Frank chose omerta over the truth. Now, as I've been living with the gospel reading from Luke chapter 12 for this week, where Jesus talks a lot about bringing fire to the earth and division with it, it occurs to me that this is exactly what got Jesus killed. He broke omerta. Hmm? He broke the silence around a faith that is more concerned with the performative aspects of correct ritual than with a human being bent over than with starving neighbors around them. He broke the silence around a personal piety more concerned with strident law-keeping then with welcoming the stranger in need, he broke the silence around a, a religious culture that claimed faith in God, but really put its faith in building bigger barns, hmm? always hedging its bet against an uncertain future rather than trusting in God's keeping. He broke the silence around that. And maybe most strikingly and most deadly, Jesus broke the silence around imagined shortcuts to glory, basically saying there ain't any. There's not any shortcut. The road to the kingdom of God does not run straight from me 
to heaven. No. Instead, it, well, it doesn't simply take me to a church on a Sunday or to a Bible study on a Thursday or to a voting booth once every couple years. The road to the throne of God, the course we must travel, we have to run. It runs through this troubled, needy, frightened world. It runs through food pantries and soup kitchens and homeless shelters and free clinics. And it runs through conflicted borders and refugee camps and police stations, hospital wards. In short, the road to glory, it runs right through the life of the nearest child of God in need. Jesus warns his followers here that joining him in breaking this silence will probably not lead to some kumbaya moment where we all hold hands and share a Coke and sing in harmony, <laughs> right? No. Nope. It'll bring division. To break the silence around injustice, around race hatred, around discounting our fellow human beings based simply on how they dress or who they love or their country of origin or fill in the blank to break the silence around a culture more concerned with the value of a stock than the value of a human life. This is going to cause division. Cause, cause some pain huh? within communities, within families, yes, even within congregations. But here's the deal, and this is the promise, this is the gospel, this is the good news. This is the only road that actually leads somewhere other than a grave. Because this road leads straight to the throne of God. And lots of folks have traveled it before us. Many. As we heard in our second lesson from the letter to the Hebrews this morning, there's this whole cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we run this race. Men and women of faith who have faced up to the absolute worst types of obstacles and walls imaginable, but they kept on running. Well, they kept on running, no shortcuts. So, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And what could that sin be but that self-interested fear that keeps us quiet? And run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who did this very thing. He broke Omerta. He kept running. Who for the sake of the glory that was set before him endured even the cross, disregarding its shame, has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. We didn't join this team to eat ice cream either. Huh? Let's run. God didn't call us into this church to sit around and wait for heaven. He called us to speak for, to serve, to heal feed, to forgive, to forbear, to protect, to encourage, to love the neighbor. So, on your market set, go. Huh? Amen. Amen.